to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Uh, welcome. My name is Christian Lindbeck. I'm the grateful lead pastor here. Delighted to be gathered with you in person. Thanks to all of you who've returned this fall. I'm grateful for that. Felt like I leaned into that space, and I'm glad to see your faces. And thanks to all of you who are joining us online. For whatever reason, um, you need to be away from us today. Please receive this as a constant and warm invitation from a community that loves you. And if you're checking us out for the first time, um, we're pretty great people to hang around. So come check us out. Um, yeah. Um, man, this, this message has been tough for me. So we're here we are in Jonah, and uh, I think Tim and I have both tried to kind of hint at, you know, Jonah is often thought of as like a kid's book, and I hope that you've seen already that it's a robust and mature book that um, stretches the way we think. It is, it's deep theology that uh, overturns uh, some of the expectations we have about who God is and what he does and how he interacts with people and how that touches on our lives, and it, and it gets into some pretty... Um, heavy themes. It's like I said, it's brawny. It stretches us. And um, that will continue this week. This has been a couple of weeks where writing this has um, touched close to home for me. Um, If you want to follow along in Jonah, I think we've said a few weeks now, it's just plain hard to find. I mean, like this is, even if you're a Christian, this is a tricky one. Uh, Feel free. There's a handy little index in the beginning of your Bible, to just use the index and find your way there. It's page 819 in my Bible, if that's helpful to you at all. Um, I looked it up, yo. That's like a flip. Where's that at? So um, you can get to Jonah. Uh, Also, if you haven't heard the first two messages, um, our teaching pastor, Tim, who doesn't love it when I praise him publicly, is really one of the best teachers that I know anywhere. Um, He beautifully introduced this book. Don't miss it. Do yourself a favor and go back and uh, pick up those first two messages in this series. Um, As for us, we're going to turn our attention to Jonah uh, chapter 2 today. So if you found your way there, it's short. It's four chapters. Flip one page. You probably don't have to flip a page. You're already to uh, Jonah chapter 2. And in Jonah chapter 2, our story takes... This is the problem is we're very familiar with these stories, but our story takes what ought to be considered an unexpected turn. Like, yeah, I'll be like, didn't see that one coming. Uh, but we're used to the story, and it's better known kind of big fish features, which are on display today. And so uh, this rescue and this kind of absurd rescue modality, these are things that we're familiar with. But this should be an unexpected turn. And uh, I, I, this is one of those ways in which we read backwards because we're like, yes, God is gracious, but I don't know that that's been a worldwide expectation forever. This is a very gracious rescue act of God, and I think it comes uh, unexpectedly in the midst of the story, so I hope that we can reclaim some of that. Um, we've been following Jonah, our anti-prophet, right? He is, the, he is not a great prophet. He is not getting an A on profiting. And um, he is an anti-prophet who is running from God, and he's doing it with like some dark courage. (laughs) Like he is fingers in his ears doing exactly the wrong thing, and he's fleeing from God, and um, he's now sinking 
to the bottom in our story of a self-chosen despair. He's choosing it. And he's sinking both metaphorically in heart and soul and mind and attention. He's sinking quite literally. Um, Jonah is feeling dramatically far from God. And I mean that like it's dramatic and I mean he's being a bit dramatic about it. I mean, he feels dramatically far from God. We have seen that he's turned apathetic. He's hopeless. He can see no hope for the future. He is stingy with God's grace for himself and for others. Um, And he's turned uh, suicidal. He is depressed to the point of suicide. He is despaired for hope. And um, we talked about that. Uh, Tim talked about that last week, that he has himself tossed into the dark and consuming sea. Which isn't that just the perfect metaphor? Doesn't its roiling darkness match the condition of his heart? He is he is a dark and roiling sea, and he's had himself thrown into a dark and consuming sea. And I want us... Um, to watch today with some understanding and some empathy. I had Tim, I wanted to give the warning because I know I have felt this way and if you have felt this way before, I want there to be an understanding empathy and not kind of a triggering despair there too. And I want us to notice um, God's immense graciousness (laughs) that... uh, that as we look with compassion, hopefully not just frustration on Jonah, we see a good Father God who is gracious towards His creation. In fact, everything we learn about God in the book of Jonah is pursuit and invitation from the Most High. Here He is pursuing difficult people across the board from Nineveh through Jonah. And, uh, and the person of Jesus comes along only to highlight and inform and strengthen this gracious and invitational God that we meet in Jonah. I do want to underscore again, just because it matters, how unexpected, extraordinary, revolutionary, challenging, dangerous it is for Jonah to be going to Nineveh. Um, Nineveh isn't an idea. Nineveh is actually the heart of an evil and violent empire, and going there could easily cost him his life and turn into nothing. Uh, uh, and so I just want, want this to be like an idea. And we, uh, Tim said, you know, we, we don't want us to become Nineveh, and I don't think you should make Ninevites out of your, your enemy. Like, we're talk- like, this is like the worst of enemies. And I, I won't look for a current analog, but um, this is a dangerous place for Jonah to be going and we learn about this God who uh, I think it's kind of interesting is who is God pursuing? Everyone. Uh, when is their last chance? The last one. <laughs> you know, that's the, this is a message that is spoken over and over. And I, I want us to read the account together and I'll unpack a couple things out of it today. So we're actually going to begin at that end of chapter one, an interesting uh, break that was put in by later editors. Uh, the story really is begins this part of the story in 117. So Jonah's sinking, literally and metaphorically. And uh, we pick it up in 117. It says, but the Lord, and I'm reading out of the ESV. If you're reading out of the NIV, there's a couple reasons I chose this translation. 
It says in the Lord, and I just want you to notice capital L-O-R-D throughout. Uh, this is the personal name of the Lord, Yahweh. Um, you're going to hear me call God Abba a few times this morning. Abba is an Aramaic word that means Papa. It's a, it's a close word. It's, an, it's a word that uh, conveys his intimacy, his invitation into relationship. But here we see Yahweh's personal name. So it says, now it is that the Lord appointed a great fish. This is the part everybody knows, right? Uh, to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to his God, to Yahweh, his God, from the belly of the fish. Now, I want to point out a couple of things. First, I just want to point out kind of sequence of order. It's important. I want you to note that it is God who comes to Jonah's last possible rescue without an invitation from Jonah. This, is, this doesn't go. No, it doesn't say, and then Jonah cried out, and then the Lord. This is like God coming to Jonah's rescue with zero invitation. Jonah has gone arms crossed, hard hearted into the roiling sea, kind of like, fine. I mean, there's a lot of times I've met Jonah in a truculent teenager. It's just that fine. Like, have you ever had a fight with your kid where you escalate it and you think, oh my gosh, they'll go to the end? Like, I mean, I could be like to my son, Joe, fine, I'll just cut off your arm if you won't obey. He'd be like, mm, just do it. And I, go, I don't win this one. <laughs> uh, he is arms crossed, resolved, thrown into the sea. Jonah did not cry out. Jonah did not soften his heart. Jonah did not change his mind. Jonah did not straighten up and fly right. Abba Father just came to his rescue. And that's the first delightful part of this for me, and I hope for you, is this isn't like, a, hey, if you get your stuff in a group, Abba might show up. And just came to his rescue right in the middle of it. It says here that Yahweh appointed a great fish to work it all out. Now, I find that kind of humorous and fascinating and terrifying simultaneously. What's he getting at? Like, do you ever, don't get into the mind of God. That's Pastor Pegram. But I'm like, really? Like, you decided you wanted to do this with a giant fish? You're supposed, by the way, we've been trained to not go, that's weird, when it is full on weird. You're supposed to go, that what in the what? Why is this happening? So it says, God appoints a great fish. And I, this is so many interesting things going on. But first thing I want to get at is that this is a picture of God's total sovereignty over everything that isn't people. God has an absolute sovereignty, unquestionable in the entire cosmos. In fact, you're going to see appointed a lot of times. He says, I appoint a whale, and I appoint a worm, and I appoint a vine, and I appoint the wind, and I appoint Jonah, but it's only Jonah that can say no. Isn't that an absurd power that God has given human beings? It's a, it's, it's, it's a grandeur that he has instilled to his children will. What you're supposed to notice is even the fish can't say no. Even the great whale will not say no, but Jonah can cross his arms and say, no, I won't do that. I won't go there. And here, I want you to notice over and over, he's not going to unknow Jonah's no for him. He's just going to keep pursuing him until Jonah releases his arms 
and releases his no. I want to quibble with the ESV because it's these translations that have given us an idiom that we're familiar with. Um, you said it says, uh, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish. This is where we get the idiom, the belly of the whale, right? We know this idiom, in the belly of the whale, which sometimes we just mean like they sat us in the back of the restaurant, but right, like uh, uh, belly of the whale, the lowest part of something. And I just want to point this out because Jonah is not mentioned in the text to be in the belly of a whale ever. He is mentioned to be inside a fish. There is a belly that he's in, but it is not a belly of a whale. And if you're reading it in the NIV, it probably says inside a fish. And I want to make a point of it a little bit as we're answering this question. Why did God do it? Like, what What in the world? Why did God go about it in this way? Um, To help me make that point, I want you to notice also the oddly specific. Jonah was in the belly of the fish or inside the fish three days and three nights. That's oddly, that's like hotel reservation specific. (laughs) Why three days and three nights? I mean, inside the belly feels like enough, right? Um, Why be this specific? If those of you familiar with scripture probably recognize some of this language from like the death of Lazarus, where God, Jesus waits, or the death of Jesus himself for three days and three nights. And that's probably because this is likely an ancient Near East idiom that means really and truly dead. You see the princess bride? Mostly dead? He is not mostly dead. He is three days and three nights in the belly. This is a phrase that means gone. Nobody makes it through three days and three nights. This is beginning to answer a part of our question. And if he's not in the belly of the fish, that isn't what matters. What belly is he in? And I want to jump ahead to 2.2. It says, I called out to the Lord after, remember God initiates this. He's in the fish already. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Out of the door of death, out of the place of death, out of the pains of death, he had a suicidal wish, and this is out of the fulfillment of this wish. The belly that he is held in that matters for this story, for the determinative three days and three nights, is the belly of Sheol. I'm lost. I'm gone. It's over. I'm finished. I've passed over. I have gone to the belly of Sheol. His last shot, his lowest place. And, and today with that warning, I just, I want to say, I know, and I, I suspect some of you know about being in the last place, the pains of death the bars that close in. And I think that there's a message out of this scripture for us. And I think that Jonah, I'm going to suggest, Jonah is inside this fish because he is buried in a three-day, three-night moving grave that has the potential to deliver him to resurrected life that will get him to the place that he is going, to his intended path with God, to where he belongs. 
Now, I want to go back for a moment to verse 2-1. Out of the belly of Sheol, he cries out, and it says, we started, I backed up a little bit, then from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. I said that there's some hope and some answers in this. And it's this, God pursued Jonah first to his last possible and darkest place, and then finally something broke in Jonah. Something cut loose. I, I mean, Talia, you, you cried out at the end of this. May we not be the ones who say no. May something soften in us. May something break loose in us. And for Jonah, it took certain death. I don't know how many of you have felt at the door of certain death or desire for a certain death. I certainly have. But it took the doorway of certain death and God's unexpected rescue to finally wake him up. After all of his hatred and self-pity and disobedience and despair and this attempted suicide, Jonah is overwhelmed by God's amazing grace. Like in the last possible place, God meet. I, I, I wonder how this went down. We're going to see how he responds. But somewhere along the line, Jonah is miraculously not dead when he should be dead. It breaks something inside of him. And we see he just cries out. I, I just get, I don't know if you've been there where you just, something just breaks in you and you fold into the arms of Abba Father. You see, Jonah could have been strongly chastised by God and folded into the arms of death. He was like the prodigal who folds into the arms of his father. Something just, that finally all this clenched up anger and hate, just something releases in Jonah. And he's able to receive the grace of God that is applied in this final rescue. I'm going to skip, and I'm sorry right now, Lori, but I, I it's just that he, he, he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to skip and I'll come back to the fish part maybe. I want, I want you to skip ahead to verses 3 through the first half of 6 because he's understanding what's going on here. You see, Jonah understands. He says to God, he's, he's starting to cry out in the belly of this place. He says, I get it. You cast me into the deep heart of the sea. Who cast Jonah into the deep heart of the sea? Sailors. You see, Jonah's beginning to rightly understand this is Abba's correction of him. He says, you cast me into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars are closed upon me forever. Sheol. Jonah rightly understands that God's delivery into the fish and the belly of Sheol are a correction from his Abba father. A God who loves him, who will both correct and rescue him from the darkest of places. This is a self 
chosen thing Jonah has done. Jonah's put himself here, but he can begin to recognize that this correction and rescue from God is an act of love, an act of rescue for him. Many Christians, including myself, if you are not a Christian, hear Christians say this, I'm speaking for others, have praised God aloud for a correction that leads to repentance. For a renewal, for the restoration of hope. It's key to our understanding that God moves first, but will often use a stern correction to break loose our rebellion Loosen our arms and make a space where we fold into the arms of our Abba, Father. Jonah was at the end of his chances. Upon the pains of death, the belly of Sheol, he had crashed down, down, down. And I I say again, I'm going to keep pointing at myself, but I don't know if you've experienced self-choice crashing downward before, but this is a perfect description of it. Have you ever felt trapped in that cycle where you're just down, 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 and each hardship just kind of creates another barrier or resistance in your heart? And this book is painting a literal, a spiritual and literal self-chosen downward spiral, a self-pity downward spiral down from the place of power and prominence, literally down to the port of Joppa, down to the deck of a ship, down to the bottom of the boat, ears clamped shut, deaf to God's voice, down to the water, down to the deep, into the fish, down to the roots of the mountains, into the belly of Sheol, whose bars close in forever, down, down, down. And I just want to say Jonah could have changed his tack any time earlier. At any moment, he could have cried out, softened his heart, and turned back to God. But he kept himself resolutely disobedient, trapped in self-pity, a prison of his own making that drags himself down until God breaks in, breaks something loose, and he cries out. In fact, Jonah acknowledges that God has strongly corrected him, and he is grateful. And he begins kind of crying out. The rest of his psalm turns into the song of like a rebirth, restart, resurrection from death. The point of the fish, I'm not going to get into the fish, and I've left out this whole section about the big fish in the room. But look, I, 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 I think Tim touched on it already. That's like a, what do you call it? A TikTok level version of scrutiny for the scripture. The point of this is not about the fish. The point is about a miraculous delivery. And I'm going to say that I'm going to kind of leave it at that. But Jonah can recognize it as a miraculous delivery that saved his life from the pit of despair that was at Sheol that brought him back. And it was the gift of correction. And he cries out, at least for now, like this. Let's go back to verse six through nine. He had already said, you threw me in. You did this. You did this. Now, I, 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 that was the wrong tone. I'm going to change it because it's important. You, Abba, threw me into the water. You let your billows come over me. You allowed me to go into Sheol because it saved my life. You recovered me from the spiral of despair. You came to my rescue. 
Now let's pick up verse 6. He says, Yet you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And I just want you to read these next two lines. I will live my life aligned with you. What I have vowed, I will pay. I will do. For salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, you really get to cry that out when you have been to the gate of death. The cry, salvation, like it is good to be with the Lord, that's a nice thing to say when things are good. It is a profound thing to say when things are hard. If you have not cried out, you, Lord God, are my hope and my salvation from the very pit of despair, it had ruts. That's meaty. To be reminded of the salvation of God when you have tested its very boundary. And then verse 10, I kind of like. And then Yahweh spoke to the fish, and it barfed Jonah out on the new dry land. (laughs) New start. It has a gross new start, but it's a new start. A resurrection from Sheol. Like I think Jonah has been given new life. Back, brought back into alignment, a new try. All this truculent disobedience broken in him. For now. <laughs> the implications of this text are myriad. I just want to touch on two today. And they're really easy. First, God is surprisingly gracious. We ought not run away from it. How's that for easy? God is not an angry deity to whom we have offended, and he is looking for ways to punish us unless we come under the cover of his son. God is the infinite all-creator God who delights in his creation, understands how we are broken, and is pursuing it constantly, the greatest picture of which is taking on human flesh to come after us. He's the rescuer who comes at the last possible moment. I just have to stack this up against with a God who pursues his people at the last moment and yet still gives them this bizarre dignity in my book to say no. He has imbued us with an unbelievable amount of dignity. He didn't want to make more whales and worms, and, and things that half must obey. He wanted to make people who love him in return. And therefore, he gave us the right to tell him no. And I think Jonah's just saying, hey, don't say no. <laughs> like if you know him and you are hard-hearted, resilient, and a downward path right now, before you are drugged to the gates of Sheol, and God must rescue you at the last moment, I got a good idea. Just let the arms go right now. Like find that space in you right now, that little hard black knot that is built up in your chest. Before it must be broken in you, let it go. 
Rebellion is our choice. Freedom is our gift. <laughs> it's a, because of the good news of Jesus, like we're, this invitation has come back all the time. We are constantly invited to lay down a mistake, lay down a bad choice, lay down a bad course, lay down rebellion. We're just invited over and over and over to say, ooh, I feel that's going sideways. Have you ever started to feel like the kernel of the hard-heartedness start? Not that you don't got the big knot yet, but you get the little tiny kernel. And you're like, just when that little thing, just start to set that aside quick. That's the lesson of Jonah. To stay on the path aligned with Jesus, set that stuff aside quickly. And if you, if you don't know this God, this Abba Father that we're talking about, uh, boy, we don't like to get to a week where we say the good news about God is that he is glad he made people. And he is pursuing each and every delighted creation that he's ever made. And he's made a way for dealing with every problem, full restoration, full pullback through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And he doesn't flinch at the broken stuff in us. He is just like wide open honest about the broken stuff in us. He invites the wide open honest. And he makes such an overwhelming rescue as to knock down every dark hurdle, every pathway to Sheol. God is surprisingly gracious. Uh, Let's not run away from it. Two, and these are pretty easy today. Um, God's grace towards us should obviously compel us to share it with others. The name of this series is God's Heart for the City. So, I mean, this is going to be pretty obvious. Now, there's a, we've learned a lot of things. It's about ourselves and about Jonah and about God in this uh, moment. Uh, you know, Jonah's, he's renewed. I'll fulfill my vow. I will walk with you, Lord. And the reason the author has given us this song and this story and this declaration is so we can fully appreciate the irony that is coming in chapter four. Now, I'm not going to skip ahead to chapter four because I got to teach that in two weeks. I'm going to leave myself a little stuff there, but uh, I'm just going to say this. You know, some of you know, Jonah in chapter four is going to be irritated despondently angry again that God is as gracious with Nineveh as he's just been with Jonah. Can you, you're supposed to be, can you, but what? You're you're supposed to widen your eyes and be incredulous. Jonah, God just, you just rescued your life from nowhere. Now you're irritated that he's being gracious with other people. Jesus touches on this a few times <laughs> on the stingy servant who has received much grace but can extend little and this will be the point this book is going to land on the reason is god's heart toward the city is god is trying to say like i tried to say like who won't god go after and if the answer is nineveh the answer is everybody and if the answer you think oh nineveh is like the nadir or the zenith of who God will go after. No, it's Jonah that's the nadir in the zenith. You have to believe at the end of this book that God can forgive Jonah too. Like, where did we get all this content from? I, I mean, here's Jonah. I, Jonah must have come back and told somebody. I bet he didn't write this book. I'm going to put him in the best light. But like, uh, maybe he told some of these stories. We have to believe it for Nineveh and for Jonah and for us. And what you're supposed to go is, Jonah, come on. You can't, you can't go show grace to the Ninevites after the grace God has shown you. The irony is supposed to stand out and you're supposed to look at Jonah and then you're supposed to go, oof. 
Where have I received surprising grace and then been stingy in sharing it? And it's our desire as a community of faith that we will participate in God's heart for our very own city. Uh, That the good news of Scripture would come out through us, in us, and by us. And thus, we must receive this conviction from Jonah. And week after week, this book has, the anti-prophet has pointed at the best prophet, Jesus, right? The king prophet. We've, each week you've seen this, right? And, and that's what Tim Keller says, like a Jonah kind of ends on a cliffhanger because you're supposed to ask, if Jonah can't do it, and we know it doesn't actually work out long term for the Ninevites, what hope is there for the world? Like who will ever come along and be a faithful prophet and make a way and recover people back to God? And the answer is just Jesus over and over and over and over and over and over who touches on this story. His father, God sent us and Jesus as a prophet to the hard-hearted empire too. And Jesus went faithfully where the father seeks. He never crosses his arm and says no, even when it's hard. And Jesus enters the belly of Sheol for three days and three nights on behalf of those whom he loves that they need not be trapped in Sheol but participate in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Jonah keeps pointing at the good news of Jesus. And I want us to listen to the book of Jonah for ourselves, for people we care about. I don't, you know, I think of myself like this hits home for me too, but I've watched many a friend run to destruction with their fingers in their ears. And so I'm going to invite our worship team back up, the two of them. And uh, as they're getting ready, I just want us to be still. I've asked them to sing a song over you. So first, I want you to sit with this song, a song that God is singing to the runaway. And let it roll over you and ask yourself questions like, where are you? Are you running or sinking? Are you restored or grateful? Maybe ask yourself, what would your life with hope, restored, and grace even look like? What would that look like? Do you have your journal? Where is God calling us to be his good news? Maybe a pointier question, where does your life and words display the good news and grace of God? And I want you to just take time as they begin to sing this song. But first, I want you to hear this good news. John 1, 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And Matthew 11, which I love in the message 28 through 30, says, are you tired, worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me. Jesus says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Come learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning. 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.